0: A Crane's Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Always glad when you can join us. What visitors want when they go to a museum and the way museums choose to share their collections with patrons seems to have undergone a major change in the last decade or so. Those changes will be reflected in the remaking of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History and University Circle as they move forward with a $150 million transforming the world discovery renovation. Here to talk about that transformation is Sonia Winner, the president and CEO of the museum. Sonia, thanks for being with us today.
1: Absolutely.
0: Before we dive into this major transformation, let's talk about you for a minute. You were born on a military base in the Philippines. That's a long way from Cleveland.
1: That's right. I was born at Clark Air Force Base, which at the time was one of the largest military bases in the world. So uh, really lucky. My my uh, father worked at the embassy and uh, I was born at Clark Air Force Base and my sister was actually born in a Filipino hospital. So uh, great ties to uh, the Philippines.
0: What, so how did, how does a person born in the Philippines on a military base land here?
1: Well, I moved 14 times before high school. Wow! So uh, that is, that's a long, that's a, I always say that I uh, have never been a stranger to anyone and I'm always very good at introducing myself at cocktail parties. Uh, but my, uh, I actually met my husband at a law firm in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's a spinoff. It's now Thompson, Heine, and Flory, but I met him and you know, like most, native clevelanders they're like salmon they need to come back you know to their home environment and he was desperate to come back to cleveland and so here i am
0: so you were an attorney so you ended up getting involved in the development and then you now had this museum of natural history that's an interesting path that is how do you get there
1: well, you know, a wise person once told me that it's all about relationships in life. And it really is about thinking about opportunities, thinking about ways in which we engage with everyone, and really articulating a mission. I really believe in public service. I really believe in nonprofits. And uh, Cleveland is so lucky to be so rich in in cultural institutions and other nonprofits. So I feel very blessed that I've been given a lot of opportunity. And I do believe in life. Ultimately, it is a meritocracy.
0: So you're in charge of a, a big and dedicated staff. Talk about your approach to leadership. How do you lead?
1: So I think the most important part of any organization are the people and I want to hire really great people, and then I want to get out of their way. Uh, I think it's really important. You're my kind of boss, not to (laughs) Yes, I think any one of my colleagues would say that I am not a micromanager, Um, although I'm very good at editing. um, They tease me a lot about that. Uh, But I do believe that uh, if you hire really good people, you should let them be as creative as possible, as entrepreneurial as possible. I also, think you should manage their results and and really measure them on, on the results that they have rather than the day-to-day activities um, that they provide. And I also think that you have to understand how they relate to their colleagues, which is such an important part of the soft skills that make a strong leader.
0: Interesting, the concept of soft skills. That wasn't something we even talked about 30 years ago.
1: Well, I think it's been really important in this environment, especially with COVID and the changing needs of employees. We survey employees. We ask them what they want. Um, We've done a variety of wellness days for employees. You know, we're a frontward facing institution. That is never going to change. And we celebrate having our guests and visitors here. But we also know that employees have a lot of demands on their time.
0: So uh, everybody has had an opportunity to go to the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, has some kind of story about their first visit or going there on a school trip. Do you have a story like that about the museum, your encounter with it?
1: I do. Uh, Well, as my children would say, I am a museum parent, and they always tease uh, my husband and I that Wherever we go, we go to museums. You know, other kids were going to beaches and uh, ski vacations. Not our children. They were going to museums. And our, our son, our firstborn, actually learned to walk at the museum it would have these long expansive areas that were carpeted and he walked right in front of the cobra so that is one of my fondest memories of being here and there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that and the magic that we can bring to families as part of the museum experience
0: it's great to hear about parents who take their children to museum when I was in high school we had a teacher assigned us a trip to the art museum. And he said he did it in party, later told us because so many parents don't take their kids to any museums, he wanted you to get inside a museum at least once. So nice to hear that you made that a big part of your priorities.
1: Well, you know, the interesting thing I think about museums, and particularly our museum, we have a great history. We've been around for over 100 years. So think about Cleveland 100 years ago. Uh, We had soldiers who had come from World War One. They had seen the amazing European museums. They had experienced the Spanish flu. Uh, we had a wonderful art museum and a wonderful orchestra. And a decision was made by civic leaders that we needed a natural history museum, but not just to share knowledge among scholars and researchers. It was really about sharing knowledge with the community. And even in our articles of incorporation, we talk about the diffusion of knowledge, that knowledge should be shared with the community. We have the second oldest education program in the country. We're really proud of that. We also have the health museum that is part of, of the Museum of Natural History. So the conversations that we're having here are really about human health and the health of the planet.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this transformation project. I had an opportunity to have William Griswold, your counterpart from the Museum of Art, join us for the landscape. And one of the things we talked about was this notion of providing visitors this more immersive, hands-on experience instead of, hey, just look at this. What are some of the ways the design are going to reflect this opportunity to be, to be more hands-on, more, and more immersive when you come to the Natural History Museum?
1: Well, Bill is a wonderful friend of ours and my next door neighbor, so I, I want to say that art museums do a wonderful job of engaging the community and particularly our Museum of uh, Art because it's free. I think that the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, the way that we are going to be able to really invite the visitors is that we have the opportunity of a 3D experience. You can touch uh, the thing, objects that we have here uh, for the most part, and we are able to really tell the story of life, not necessarily on a timeline, but talking about human impact, talking about what the visitor cares about. Uh, Our new design of our exhibit space is all about inquiry. It's about the visitor asking questions. Why should I care about this? Why should I care about my health? What are the things that I should care about with the planet? And we also are unique because we have 5 million objects, but our collection is very focused on this region. This museum and our expansion could never be done in any other place on the world because we're celebrating the Great Lakes and the uniqueness of this geography Uh, and geology that we have here uh, in the Cleveland region.
0: Even though the, the museum that we're designing is specific for Cleveland and celebrates this region, is it going to be a transformation museum in terms of other museums saying, this might be the way we want to go as well, do you think? A model for other museums?
1: So we have kept going despite the pandemic. We continued on time and on budget. Uh, for this and we will be one of the first museums to open really post-pandemic and it will be very unique as far as natural history museums are concerned. This will tell a unique story of life, not on a timeline. We will have dinosaurs throughout the museum. Uh, we will have gemstones throughout the museum. You are going to be able to think about our natural areas, which we steward over twelve thousand acres. Um, that exhibit will not just be a standing exhibit, it will be throughout the museum, and what we're trying to present to the visitor is an integrated story of life, that not life happen, life doesn't happen on a timeline necessarily, it is that it is very interactive, and we're all part of a larger story, we're all made of stardust, what does that mean for us, what does that mean for our planet? what's going on with our planet and the increasing temperatures. How does that affect us? How does that affect our own health? How does that affect uh, our insect populations, our bird populations, and other creatures that we spend our time here on Earth with?
0: Sonia Winter joins us today for The Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast. Sonia is the president and CEO of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, undergoing a major transformation, a $150 million transformation. Sonia, is is there also a change of mindset at museums? We talked about this more hands-on experience, but also instead of saying, here's today's education program, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, more of like a lifelong approach to it, a lifelong learning approach when you come to a museum?
1: Absolutely. We want everyone to engage with this museum here's the wonderful thing about natural history and about the work that we do every single day i see the future leaders of the world and we aren't necessarily trying to make everyone a scientist but we are trying to make everyone scientifically literate and i think it's really important that throughout Um, one's life, that one has the information so you can make the right decision when you go to the grocery store, when you vote, when you go and see your doctor, all of those decisions. And it's important for us to really instill that lifelong learning of science in our visitor. You know, we did a national study that was conducted by um, Marist, and it was a poll of what people feel about science and think about science. 88% of those who responded trust in science and 85 percent want to learn more and 92 percent think that health of the environment is very important to their own health yet they really feel like they're falling behind on science Uh, and in many ways they feel as if they're they're not sure where they can get information and yet they believe in museums Almost sixty percent of the respondents say that they believe that museums and scientists present authentic information about health and science. We think that's incredibly important.
0: I never really thought about that often. If once you get out of high school or college, you you would, in many respects, stop studying science unless you go to a museum, right?
1: Well, and you know this, there, there's not a lot of science reporting as well, so it's a real challenge um, in order to get the public. Um, to uh, knowledge, that knowledge. And I think that's a real challenge of the public understanding science is that what are the mechanisms? And so we are that civic institution that can provide that knowledge about science and nature. And I also want to say that nature is the portal to science. Almost every scientist that is on our staff has a childhood experience of why they were exposed to nature and why it's so important to them. Uh, And I think that's really unique as well, is making sure that every family has access uh, to nature.
0: As you continue with this museum remodeling, is it also going to expand the museum, will the museum become bigger?
1: Yes, very, very much. Um, We are very excited that it's almost 300,000 square feet that we will be reimagining and including our new wing, which is about 60,000 square feet. So overall, it's a complete remake of our campus uh, and really inviting the visitor in, you're going to be able to have Uh, a glass of wine on Wade Oval and enjoy um, the beauty of University Circle. You're going to be able at night to look inside the museum and see the dinosaurs. So we're really inviting the community Uh, into the visitor experience. We also, on Sundays, I'm very proud that the Mandel Foundation has given us a grant so that families in Cleveland and East Cleveland can come to the museum for free uh, on Sundays. And so that is a real opportunity for us to engage the public and make sure that the barrier of cost is something that doesn't prevent our visitors from coming to the museum.
0: A few years ago, I was in the backyard and I saw an insect that looked otherworldly. So I took his picture and I sent it to our friend Harvey Webster, who was at the museum for many years and continues there. And of course, he knew what it was right away, but not everybody can send a picture to Harvey. So you have a thing called the Curiosity Center that's going to answer questions like that. How will it work?
1: So our Curiosity Center, it's the Ames Curiosity Center given by the Ames family. You as a visitor, if you find something and you think it might be a meteorite or you think it might be um, something that's a unique insect, you'll be able to come down to the Natural History Museum and we'll have experts there. And we have been testing out this idea that the public can come in and ask our scientists and other experts questions. So we opened our current science area that's open right now. And in January of 2021, and since that time, over 60,000 visitors have come. And 80% of the time spent by our staff is answering questions. And there's nothing like a five-year-old uh, answering questions and, and, and asking questions to our paleontologists uh, about the dinosaurs, because they really are, um, you have to have your game on when you're talking to a five-year-old about dinosaurs. So, and the other, I think, unique part of what we do And why we really, it's really important to hire people who love people and love to engage with our audiences. You know, science is very complicated and sometimes it's very hard to communicate to non-scientists. So we really look for individuals who are able to really have that enthusiasm and love of science that they can share with others. And so when you come to the Natural History Museum, people like Harvey Webster, people like our you know, animal and wildlife, Uh, colleagues, they really want to share that knowledge with the public. And so the Ames Curiosity Center is really going to provide that forum for all of us to be able to share the knowledge and the collections that we have that are so unique to Ohio and the world.
0: You mentioned that the museum stewards some 12,000 acres across the state. How do you use that for various scientific questions?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, some of them are open to the public. We also do special tours so that we are not disturbing the fragility of those um, magnificent lands uh, that are unique to Ohio, have rare species and other things. We're actually conducting scientific experiments as well. The natural areas are so unique to the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. And Uh, Our scientists, you know, we have 12 scientists here at the museum and we're hiring more. They really are very focused on an integrated approach to the way that they um, can convey science and their discoveries. So they are using our natural areas as part of their scientific work.
0: So you mentioned that this renovation project is under budget, which is always a good thing. Are you still on target for December 2024, do you think?
1: We sure are. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to put in our central utility plant, which is not sexy at all, but very important for those of you who know what that is. We were able to get that on time and slightly under budget. We had our gateway projects that came in, which is our Smith Courtyard, which is outside for the public to enjoy. Our uh, amazing auditorium, the Merch Auditorium, and then our Current Science, all of that is open. And we will be opening Wade Oval in November of 2022. So we're really excited um, to welcome the public, especially those who may come in um, by walking or public transportation.
0: So finally, you mentioned you know, that the goal is not to turn everyone into scientists, every little kid, although it would be good if some of them did do that. What is, what, Absolutely. What is the goal of the Natural History Museum then at the end of the day?
1: Well, the goal is for everyone to have a passion for nature and science. That's the goal, is for everyone to love nature and science and to have a fun experience here at the museum.
0: Well, I hope I know they're going to have a chance to do that now and when December 2024 rounds around, it'll be even better. Sonia Winter, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, you know, and I always end that the best is yet to come for this museum. And that is a great song by Count Basie and Frank Sinatra, but the best is yet to come for this museum.
0: Any Basie Sinatra reference is okay by me. Sonia, thanks <laughs> for being with us today.
1: <laughs> thanks so much.
0: Sonia Winner is the president and the CEO of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. She joined us today for The Landscape, of Crane's Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. We're always glad when you can join us, and we'll talk again soon.